At the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, we try to approach the issues of life, marriage, religious liberty, and fiscal integrity from a biblical perspective that promotes thoughtfulness and kindness. We work with political leaders and concerned citizens from all across the state. To stay informed, visit commonwealthmatters.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit organization that only exists because of friends like you. Thanks for tuning in to The Commonwealth Matters. Welcome to The Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson, Executive Director of CPC, here with Robert Cunningham, pastor of Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church, and we are going to talk about reimagining Christian engagement in the culture. Robert, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, I appreciate you and your willingness to tackle this subject, uh, challenging subject, because when you talk about reimagining anything, uh, you, you, you really, it means that you weren't imagining well to begin with, or there was something wrong and, uh, with how we've done things. But you and I come from the perspective that the church has a special role in culture. The church has a not just a special role, but it can be a significant influence in culture. And one of my observations is that there's a lot of frustration with churches in Kentucky uh, as far as where the culture's heading, a lot of frustration, especially with politics and who's leading the country or leading the state for for that matter. And I'm wondering, how do we, as Christians that want to be not critical, but want to assess in a fair way, um, but how do we how do we start out with this reimagining cultural engagement? How, where do we start with this? Because we know there's frustration. I think most Americans, and you don't even have to be in the church to realize that we're not going in the right direction. But where do we even begin with this with this conversation? Yeah, it's interesting. You say um, you don't necessarily want to be critical. Um, I would I would say that depends upon who is the focus of your critique. And what I mean by that is, um, I would say the church for um, for too long has been critical with with almost an a, a um, an ethos of fear and paranoia toward the culture and toward cultural um, developments with with a complete inability to be self critical. Um, mm-hmm. So so when I say when you speak of reimagining how the church does cultural engagement. I think that probably begins with a self-critique, which I think is in line with um, our our Savior's um, ethic on the Sermon on the Mount, where we are to look inward first. Uh, I think that he means that individually, and I think he means that institutionally from the church's perspective. Um, so I would say it, it probably begins less of critiquing or criticizing uh, culture and cultural development and 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 disproportionately begins to critique self critique um our way of doing things our view of things how we go about things I, I think i think it's calling us to take a look in the mirror and um allow ourselves to be um evaluated so when when you talk about uh when you talk about the sermon on the mount yeah. um you're talking about blessed are the poor in spirit Mm-hmm. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? Yeah, blessed yeah. are the those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they yeah. shall inherit the earth. Those kind of things. Right. That doesn't really translate real well into a culture that prizes uh, 
rugged individualism. They prize the strong man. They prize uh, mm-hmm. all these other things that aren't necessarily bad. But uh, yeah. how do you, how, so, you know, as Christians that are going to self-assess and we know, I mean, this is God's word. Mm-hmm. He's, he tells us these things, but how, how can we do that and live that out? in a culture? How can we do that and live it out in a culture that doesn't understand those things? And, and let me just take a step yeah. back. That's been one of my challenges early on in the faith. I didn't understand how these spiritual principles, they're true principles, this is what Jesus said, but how does that relate as you get out into the world and try to live that out? It will not relate. Um, and I, I think relatability, uh, if if you Jesus, he, what's unique about Jesus is that mm-hmm. uh, his ethic, his kingdom, his following, his church, he never he never viewed it as um, as a part of the systems of this world um, that fit within the the same um, the same ways and patterns of being. He, he, he saw it as something that was very transcendent of the cultures of this world, of the ways of this world, as, as instead of we are going to be a part of the world and do it better than the world does mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. he viewed it much more as we are bearing witness to an entirely different reality that doesn't make sense to the world, but by bearing witness to that, the world sees a better world, and it transforms the world, um, because I mean, at the end of the day, we foundationally believe that Jesus is Lord and Lord of all things, and that doing life under His lordship actually works. And we are looking at a world right now that is it, it is struggling in so many ways. I mean, the metrics are off the charts of 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 uh, depression, addiction, suicide. Um, fear, loneliness. I mean, everything is off the charts right now. It's not working is the point I'm saying. So if if the church says, okay, well, it's not working, therefore let's just try to, I don't know, do what the world does but do it better, it doesn't work. Instead, Mm -hmm. it's let's show you a better way. Let me me show you uh, an entirely new reality that you're invited to come in where where it actually does work. So showing the world an entirely new reality, yeah. that means you're walking with Jesus, you're living according to his principles, but you're not retreating from the world. You're living in the world. Because no. there is, a, there is yeah. a theology of retreat. Sure, right? sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, please, I am not, um, I, I understand there's kind of this rise in the Anabaptist tradition and i don't i don't necessarily uh i I see why it's so tempting of this thing of like look we are just complete exiles let's just retreat and let's create our own communities that that um, practice our ways and bear witness to what we believe um i get that temptation i just don't see it um in scripture i don't see it modeled in jesus there has to be a way to engage the world while bearing witness to another world um, and holding that tension. And, and, and that it's, it's admittedly very difficult. Um, but when it's done well, it's utterly captivating. It really is. It's winsome if you can live in the world, walking with Jesus, doing life as Jesus would have us to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, and it's, it is captivating. It catches, you know, if you're not, let's say, combative, if you're not... 
uh, uh, looking for a fight, or if you're not trying to impose your values, instead, if, if you uh, are, are doing life with grace, mm-hmm. doing life loving your neighbor, doing life looking out what's best for them and for your community, that does stand out, doesn't yeah. it? Oh, yeah. It, it, not only does it stand out, it, it, it tra- it's transformative. So you, you do a, your work is a lot with the, the intersection of Christianity and politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, what would it, what, seriously, what, what would our world do? with a politician who actually lived out the Beatitudes, like took that power. So, so yeah. granted, okay, it's an enormous amount of power, yeah. but said, this is what I'm going to do with the power entrusted to me by the people. I'm going to, I'm going to practice humility, meekness, kindness, gentle, yeah. like what would that do? Not only would it be like, who is this person, but it would be utterly transformative. And most political consultants, Robert, would say, and that person would not be electable, too. And I'm saying that with and a little cynicism I, there. But yeah. You're right. And, and, and you know this world better than I do. Yeah. I'm not convinced of that. I'm really not convinced that, that the kingdom of the ethics of the kingdom are, are unelectable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think people, I do, I, I'm not in politics. Yeah. I'm a pastor. But I do do work in the public square. I, I, yeah. I, I, I for it, in the small little platform that God's given me here in Kentucky, um, and I try my, I fail, but I try my best to live out and practice before people what I'm talking about. What I've discovered is 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 folks on both sides. Now, now the people who don't like it are the extremes, and mm-hmm. that's true. Mm-hmm. The extremes, mm-hmm. not Twitter. Mm-hmm. The, the Twitter world is not like. <laughs> but but my contention is there's a lot more in the middle yeah. than we realize yeah. and they find it utterly refreshing. Yeah. So like, like a perfect example, yeah. um, the Herald leader, I don't know, five or two years ago invited me to start con- contributing some op-eds. Yeah. And, uh, the first op-ed I, I wrote was to be a, a scathing critique of the intolerance of the tolerant progressive mm-hmm. thing and it was you know i mean it was perfectly crafted and it was just like oh you're so you you value tolerance what about me and all stuff and literally before i hit submit i just felt so convicted i say oh. this is this is not the ethos of love this is not yeah. how yeah. and so instead i um i deleted well, i didn't delete that i set that one aside and then my first op-ed i wrote was just a public apology to kentucky wow um, for the ways the church has failed. Yeah. And that one little 600-word thing was a bridge of healing. I mean, the outpouring, you know, that came wow. my way. And then after that, I came, and then my second op-ed was, okay, thank, thanks so much for all your positive feedback. It felt so good to have a Christian admit these things. But here is what I believe. Are you okay with that? And they were like the response I got from that was likewise good. So I just, I guess mm. what I'm trying to say is I, I'm just not so sure mm. that you have to play the political games the way they yeah. say you have to play it. Yeah. And Trump in a weird way showed us that now he did, you know, he was an outsider in a completely different way, yeah. but he, but he broke the mold yeah. and, and there was a populism love for him that people did not see coming. And I'm not so sure that there couldn't be a populist love for somebody who broke the mold, but maybe broke it in the other way, a little different direction, in a little different direction (laughs) that say, I'm not going to play your political games. I'm going to do it differently. And you know, if you don't elect me, you don't elect me, but I don't know. 
I think it'd be compelling. Yeah, it would take a person of really strong character and thick skin to be able to live out the Beatitudes. Yeah. Because look, yeah. you know, living in meekness and living in humility doesn't mean weakness. It does not mean uh, that you're a weak person. No. It means that you do have strength and you can uh, temper your response. It means that you're meek enough to love those who might be outside of your circle, uh, that you're careful enough to engage in the difficult issues, but do it in a in a way that's very different yeah, than it's, politicians it's, have done it. It's 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 Jesus. I mean, I know that's such a cliche Sunday school answer, but I mean, I, I think we would agree Jesus is a pretty powerful person. He did have that omnipotence thing going for him. And yet he was so subversive with his power. He yeah. used his power, leveraged his yeah. power for the common good, for the love of neighbor, for the needy. And, yeah. and, and, and when you got the people who did get the rebuke, the people who did get the, the fierceness of Jesus— were, were uh, of course, the Pharisees and the, the people who had a problem with him. He was always hardest on the religious establishment. Yeah. He was most gentle with those who were outside the church fold, so to yeah. speak, outside yeah. the religious yeah. circles. And there's a lesson for us there. Yep. Uh, whether you're a politician or a pastor or just somebody that goes to church every Sunday, that we need to be careful with uh, uh, how regimented we are. That's the right way to put yeah. it. How uh, we might know our doctrine really well. We yeah. might follow the law in our own lives. Uh, and then look down on others who are outside the church, mm-hmm. and it's it's those people. We all need the gospel. We right. all need God's truth. We all we all need God uh, to be walking with God. But uh, it takes some courage to get out of our comfort zone and to reach those who don't look like us, sure. don't think like us. And uh, this holds true for politics as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we need to do politics in a very different way because politics is dividing us. It's not just dividing us. It, I guess it always has since the beginning of this sure. country, but it has become so divisive that even in our churches, we mm. can hardly sit together uh, mm. in some cases uh, because there's a there's a, a, a fear, you know, if that person doesn't think exactly like me, there must be something wrong with them. Or mm-hmm. maybe, maybe they're a liberal sitting next yeah. to me because they care for the poor more. They yeah. have a different view of government. So uh, if you're just joining us, I'm Richard Nelson, Executive Director of CPC, here with Robert Cunningham, and we're talking about uh, reimagining cultural engagement for the church. A challenging issue, tough issue. We're up on a break, and uh, we'll come back in just a minute, and we'll resume the conversation. Welcome back to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson, here with Rod- Robert Cunningham, and we are talking about reimagining cultural engagement. And Robert, we're having, a, I think, a fascinating conversation about uh, culture and the church's role in culture and um, just some of the challenges that, uh, that we're facing today. And one of those is that I see, uh, because of who is in uh, power in Washington, D.C. in particular, uh, there will be some policies, and already have been some policies, that uh, are going to challenge Christians and uh, their ability to work uh, in public according to their faith and their values, mm-hmm. to live life according to their religious convictions. A lot of this has to do with uh, sexual ethics. Mm-hmm. Uh, some has to do with sanctity of life ethics. But we are seeing some far-left policies put in place um, that will challenge us wherever we are. I'm, I'm thinking of the executive order regarding LGBT students in this country. Uh-huh. Uh, this is where uh, President Biden has said that there will be no discrimination against LGBT students. Of course, discrimination is something that it's an ugly word. We don't want to hear it. But the, what this means 
is that, for example, the transgender kid who mm-hmm. child that wants to join the girls' track team or use sure. the girls' locker room will have to have to do that. That's one example. The Equality Act, sure. in this vein, uh, elevates LGBT identity to protected status in society. Now that passed the House. It's being considered in the U.S. Senate right now. Not sure what's going to happen, but if that were to pass, that does jeopardize religious freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, so as Christians, I think we need to be thinking through, okay, these are issues, these are laws, potential laws that uh, are going to come uh, and meet us wherever we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see this at the local level. We're in Lexington, yeah. uh, Kentucky, yeah. and yeah. there is a local LGBT rights ordinance, and sure. we've seen this play out before sure. and how it affects faith. But what, what, what would be your... Um, What's, what are you telling your congregation is, is there's a conflict between governmental policy, mm-hmm. laws and executive orders, and our ability to live out the faith? What, what is the challenge or what are you, yeah. what are you advising your people? Because it's coming. It, mm-hmm. It's coming. It, and to some extent, it's been here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, that is, that's a huge question. I, I could talk. Well, let me help you out. So, so, get, get, yeah, so, so yeah. Let, me, let me cue this up a little bit. And the way that the Commonwealth Policy Center has addressed these things, first of all, I would start out by saying we should not fear. Okay, yeah. God hasn't given us a spirit uh, yeah, of fear, but a yeah. power and love and a sound mind. So let's start there. Okay. We know, and we know that culture's taken turns for the worse yes. in the past. We've seen things. Yeah. So I want to start with that basis. Yeah. I know you're not telling your people to fear, no. but... It, well, well fear is a big thing. That was actually going to be the first thing I was going to talk about. I, there's so much I have to say about these types of things. The first one I start with is for too long, the, uh, the Christian church in general, the evangelical church specifically, has been principally motivated by an ethos of fear and paranoia. Mm. Never, if we believe that love is the highest ethic, if we believe that, if we believe what, what Jesus has told us to believe about himself, that he has risen from the dead, we know how this ends. I mean, if we, you, know, you take our stuff. If we actually believe that, then we know definitively that any cultural engagement, any, um, whether that be in the, in, in, the, in the public realm, in the political realm, in, in, in our businesses, any cultural engagement that begins with a primary motivation of I'm scared of what is to come Mm -hmm. is not Christian cultural engagement. I think this is the big one. I really do. If you were asking me, we're talking about reimagining Christian engagement. I think this is the big one. I think, um, I think, uh, I think the, 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 what fear does to us, what fear does to the church um, and, and the way in which we engage the world around us, the way in which we engage our neighbors, the way in we, which we engage people who don't, don't agree with us or disagree with us, yeah. the, the way we engage with policy that, that, that we find um, antithetical to our convictions and values, fear is, is like this um, pervasive um, cancer that corrupts all of what we do. So it's, it, we can't just say perfect love casts out fear. So we're not gonna do, like, like no legit. We've got to go after this fear thing. Yeah, we have got to repent of our of our of 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 basically being motivated by the boogeyman's that are out there, whether it be cultural Marxism or the LGBT community or 
or whatever are, are the fears, it, it, we've got to repent of our fear. So what should motivate us? If love. fear doesn't motivate, okay, so love motivates us. <laughs> Jesus but, made that really simple. Okay, so we have love God, love right. our neighbor, right? Right. right. But what, does, what else should motivate? Other than that, okay, you're loving God and you're loving your neighbor. Mm-hmm. What is, so what, what is, and I'm moving us in a certain yeah. direction because there's a theology of retreat, a theology that says, look, we're in the last times. I, I see the signs here. We're in the last times. Just pr- prepare yeah, to, to yeah, retreat, yeah, right? And I yeah. grew up in that, with that sure, theology. Sure. And I, it, I know. I know, uh, I know. So what, uh, what kind of theology should we have about the mess that we see in the culture? We do see some you know, discouraging news reports. Uh, in, uh, but how, how should we look at the world, I guess? At, As a neighbor to be loved. I mean, I, here, here's what I've seen. Um, unlike the progressive mainline denominations, which have essentially um, assimilated into what the culture has become, mm-hmm. unlike the, um, the uh, some conservative circles, uh, which has fortified themselves and built walls and hidden from what the culture has become. Mm-hmm. What evangelicals do well, I think, what evangelicals do well is that they hold on to their identity, unlike the kind of the mainline progressive denominations, and they're willing to engage culture, unlike kind of these subcultures that just want to hide. They, they hold on to their mm-hmm. identity and they want to get where evangelicals get it wrong, though, is that they view culture as an enemy to be defeated rather than a neighbor to be loved. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that paradigm shift makes all the difference in the world. You know, Jesus, what's interesting about Jesus is, is people assume he was non-confrontational. Yeah. And if you actually read the Gospels, the dude is one of the most confrontational people you'll ever meet. I mean, he, it's hard for him to have a conversation with somebody without just coming at their idols yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. And yet he is known as, as, as when people think of Jesus, all they think of, they think love. Yeah. How was it that he could somehow challenge in such a way where it was unquestionably out of love for that person? Yeah. We've got to recapture that vision of cultural engagement that's embodied in our Savior. I'm not saying it's easy, um, but, but that has to become our model. So we love our neighbor. We yes. love the culture. Is it a calling or is it a Christian responsibility to shape culture? I think there's, yes. this, there's this suspicion of culture. There's this suspicion of institutions. So as Christians, I mean, maybe we need to reimagine mm-hmm. how we look at culture. I mean, obviously, we love our neighbor. We should love our community. Right. But maybe just get to a more fundamental level. I mean, yeah. there's a suspicion out there of culture in general. Did yeah, I, I don't think that there should be a suspicion. Culture is God's design. Okay. Uh, let's, you know, mm-hmm. let's say the fall never happened. Yeah. Um, let's say uh, we didn't screw things up two mm-hmm. chapters into the Bible, <laughs> um, and it never happened. Yeah. I, I think people have this misnomer that we would just kind of be frolicking around in the garden for ages mm-hmm. to come, you know, in this perfect, sinless, harmonious world. Yeah. It's not what would have happened. Yeah. We would have... Uh, we would have built institutions and business and art and entertainment. We would have, yeah. we have, we would have created culture. Except yeah. that the culture would have glorified God 
and perfectly been for the flourishing of creation, humanity. Good. Meaning everywhere culture went, God would be glorified and people would be blessed. Yeah. What the fall did is we still build culture. We still do what God made us to do. Yeah. But now it dishonored God and it harms people. And so what is the Christian's call to do now on the other side of the fall uh, with this thing called culture? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, now, it's now an act of redemption. It's now an act of reclaiming. It's now an act of, okay, We've got to, we, we're not, the mandate is still there. We are still supposed to subdue, fill the earth and subdue it. But now the way it works is we are taking this broken um, system and culture and we are trying to remake it, reshape it into God's original design for culture. Um, Trusting that, trusting that Jesus is risen and, and, and in the end, all of our work uh, will come to bear and we, and we'll see the fruit of that labor, even if it's, um, the final resurrection of the dead. Um, but yeah, we're, we're now, we're now agents of redemption. Yeah. That's good. Reclaiming what, what rightfully belongs to Jesus. Robert, I get excited when I talk about this because we're talking about living life according to the faith, shaping the culture, do, you know, creating culture, mm-hmm. doing, making music and mm-hmm. doing science and, and, and doing research and writing, whatever, teaching, business. It's all of life, but doing it a different way than, yeah, than let, the let, world is And doing. let me be clear. I'm not talking about a subculture. Uh, our mandate is yeah. not a subculture yeah. where we just yeah. say, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to make Christian movies yeah. and, and write Christian music and yeah. Christian art. And, you know, I, that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about the church raising up the best artists, yeah. the best Amen. business, the best politician, the, the, the best, um, you know, across the board in every sphere, we are producing the best of, the, uh, of culture makers. Yeah. And, no, that's and, awesome. And, I, and that's what I'm hearing for you. And you're right. When you create a subculture or a parallel culture, you're not influencing all of culture, mm-hmm. all of society. And that's, I think, one of the pitfalls that we've fallen into. Yeah, yeah. Robert, I wish that we could talk longer, but we yeah. are just about out of time. I do need to get this plug in before yeah. we close out. Yeah. Uh, you're going to participate in our Christianity and Culture Conference uh, in Lexington on April the 29th. Yes. And uh, very much looking forward to you joining us. Yeah, uh, we, let's just say this. We rambled a bit and got carried away here, which is fun. But <laughs> I, 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 at this conference that you're hosting, I will get into more specifics of of what I mean by reimagining culture and hopefully give us some concrete things to, uh, to think about and, and discuss. So we'd love for everybody to be there. Yeah, absolutely. For more information, you can go to Commonwealth Policy Center's website. It's just commonwealthpolicycenter.org. And on the very first page, you'll see a pop-up about the uh, uh, conference, April the 29th in Lexington, Kentucky, Christianity and Culture. Robert Cunningham, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Ryan.